0: Welcome to Market Corner Conversations, sponsored by Foresight Health. This is where outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Market Corner Conversations is Foresight Health's regular podcast series. It explores the intricacies of market-driven health reform. We dig deep into the U.S. system's structural inefficiencies, we explain how its artificial economics and distorted business models rob the American people of the great health care they deserve. We identify and talk with innovative companies that are reinventing healthcare care delivery by being better, faster, cheaper, and more customer-friendly. We are very fortunate this evening to have Dr. Mike Roizen, uh, the nation's first chief wellness officer at the nation's First Wellness Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, Mike was an early and passionate advocate for workplace wellness, in addition to being a, a highly published author and expert on all things relating to health care. So, Mike, welcome to Market Corner Conversations.
1: It's a privilege to be with you,
0: Well, Well, thank you. It's it, The privilege is really all mine. Well, Mike, why don't we get started with just a big picture question. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you came to become such a passionate believer in wellness generally and then particularly in workplace wellness and uh, detail how you've, you've brought that into the clinic and actually into the marketplace um, beyond the clinic as
1: well? Well, Dave, that's more than a two-minute question, <laughs> so I'm going to uh, divide it into three questions. Okay. But first, um, how did I start? What's my background? I'm a, uh, both an internist and anesthesiologist. When I was in medical school, I wanted to run an ICU in the time I trained, which is an awful long time ago. There, were neither, uh, there weren't training programs in ICU medicine, and the domains of anesthesia and internal medicine... Um, needed to be combined to do that, and so I trained in both. Um, and uh, when I was at UC San Francisco uh, in anesthesia, believe it or not, my second year after residency, you know, I had already done a, a fellowship in the, at NIH in the public health service during the Vietnam era, what was called the Yellow Beret. And uh, then I had done intro or I'd done interim medicine beforehand and then anesthesia afterwards. So I was, I was a young, if you will. I, I wasn't as young after my first year residency as I might have been. <laughs> um, I was asked to head, co-head cardiac anesthesia at UCF, And I looked at what caused us to have people, that is patients with complications, look at the risk factors. And there was one that stood out, that is, their age. And a 75-year-old undergoing aortic reconstruction had three times the risk of a 65-year-old, nine times the risk of a 55-year-old. For those who know a little math, it's the natural logarithm. It went up by threefold every 10 years.
0: It's power law. And
1: so I I said, well, it would be great if we could make people 10 or 20 years younger in their perioperative period, um, meaning in the two weeks surrounding their operation and thus try and decrease risk. And that's how I got started is learning how to do that. And when you got to doing that, you needed something to help people change their own behavior. And that's where real age came in, the actual age of your body. And you know, if you're younger, um, you will do better from a perioperative period. But if you're younger, You also have more healthy years, less disability, compression of morbidity. That means you live longer, but also you live with fewer years of disability. And it was relatively simple things that did that. So fast forward, Uh, I chaired a Department of Anesthesia and Critical Care at the University of Chicago for a number of years, um, and we made our reputation both in the quality of science. We looked at memory and consciousness as part of what we were studying in anesthesia. And Neil Harrison, who was a faculty member there, really uncovered a huge amount about memory and consciousness and how anesthesia affects it and how anesthesia is caused and how memory formation is caused. Um, But we also were able to study how to consistently help people get younger, and that was the wellness, the wellness area. So I started, um, if you will, by patient demand um, from our leadership group, which was a um, philanthropic group we had, wanted to do executive health. So we started the executive health program at the University of Chicago and then at Northwestern. But it was in that sphere that executive health um, was offered just for, if you will, those who could afford it, or who were in corporations and positions of um, authority and responsibility. But when I came to the Cleveland Clinic, uh, Toby Cosgrove was in, had just taken over as uh, CEO, and asked the institute chairs the, at that time, the department division chairs. So a division, just to give you the idea of the scope of the Cleveland Clinic, which Toby's probably given you recently, but um, we had 199 operating rooms. We did 166,000 operations. So, um, we had uh, 110,000 pain therapy patients, 44,000 critical care days, a huge operation. So I had nine departments reported to the in- to the division chairman, but Toby wanted to do institutes um, because he felt that that would focus more on patients. So the institute concept was if you had chest pain, you didn't have to debate whether you went to a cardiac surgeon or a vascular biologist or a cardiac right, or a right. cardiologist, you just would come to the institute and it would all be one financial entity that so you didn't, they didn't have to worry about who, you, who took care of you, whether you had stents or surgery. They did what was best for the patient. Well, he asked for the ideas of new institutes and I proposed a wellness institute which would take what we were doing in executive health and spread it first to our own employees as a test case. We had 51,000 employees, 101,000 employees and dependents that were responsible for in our self-insured model. And uh, we'll take those learnings and spread it to other corporations and the public and do it in a way that would um, be Available to the masses mm-hmm. that is, how can you do what we did in executive health and take it for the masses so what the goal of the Wellness Institute was to make preventive care a driving force in medicine, and that was coupled with the fact that about at that time we realized that the health care costs in the world and in the united States and I say the world because we've exported our bad habits pretty well, but that health care costs in the United States weren't sustainable. That is, we were going up at a rate that was about threefold the rate of increase of everything else, mainly because of three factors. One is the influx of chronic disease, which is responsible for about 80% of the cost increase, that is, when I trained in 1974, when I first practiced, um, it was we had 2.2 million type two diabetics. We only had an hour in medical school for type two diabetes. Now we have 37 million, and we're predicted to have 120 to 220 million type two diabetics by 2050 in the United States, with only a 30% increase in population. So the rate of diabetes is growing five to seven-fold faster than the population. Same with dementia, same with osteoarthritis, a whole bunch of diseases relating to lifestyle choices that we make. And that is what's causing us to have a problem. Now, the CBO, when it looks at the other issues, new technology and aging of the population... It excluded the influx of chronic disease in its calculation that we'd have to double the tax rate by 2054 if we were to have the same deficit as we have now. In fact, if you add in the influx of chronic disease, it's 2024. It's only seven years away wow. or, uh, or six years away. So, in fact, that is what drove me to do this. So you said... How did I get into it? I got into it because I wanted to help patients um, have fewer complications perioperatively. How did I learn more about it? It was by learning how to help people make behavior change with real age that sustains their change. And what drives me? It's what drives me is that society will be totally disrupted. Because America won't double its taxes by 2024 from its prior. It's almost a, you know, in, in some cases, it's more than doubling now um, because of the tax changes that have occurred. So we will go to rationing or we have to get rational. We go to rationing, we will have societal disruption because the way America rations is usually based on financial concerns right. that will disrupt society much more. And so what drives me is that this is a urgent issue. We have six or seven years to fix it before we have even greater societal disruption and greater income inequality than we have now. Yeah. So we have to do this, and that's what drives me.
0: Yeah, wow. Um, for the listeners that don't recognize the term real age, that was the title of Mike's best-selling book which uh, looks at a person's biological age versus his chronological age and sort of the compressed morbidity point he made earlier on that um, if we can live longer in greater health status um, … We'll have a, a a lower real age as we as we pass through life, and that's that should be a goal for everybody. Let's,
1: let's yeah, let me we'll, let me go in, David. Okay. Let me just add okay. a couple things, if yep. you will, because because sure. this what you made is a really important point. You, it was the first of the of the four number one bestsellers. <laughs> so I'm proud of having four number one New York Times bestsellers. I'm still will. working on but, my first. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> but but in fact. What this means is we're about to have a longevity revolution. There is no doubt. We are – there is a little doubt. I mean, it's 90% chance by 2030 you will be able to live, if you're alive at 2030, at half the age you are. You'll be able to live, if you will. So if you're 120, then it's the equivalent of living at age 60 now. That's what change is occurring because we have put enough money – into the basic mechanisms of aging that we are learning that this is manipulatable just as heart disease is or that we can treat cancer, or that we know how to treat arthritis. Well, just like those, we are learning how to treat the basic mechanisms of aging and you're, we're going to have a longevity revolution. For that to be productive, that is for you to live healthy and be able to have a second career and a third career and retrain in between them rather than retire and really enjoy it, that's what we're saying. You have to have a young real age, and that's what everyone can do. And so that's what we're doing in the Wellness Institute, spreading this, and we've done it successfully with our 101,000 employees and dependents. We're now doing it with some other corporations as well.
0: Yeah, no, I... I... <laughs> You know, it, 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 it does feel like a race uh, though. I, when you, you know, go to some of those statistics you were quoting on the incidence of chronic disease and the exploding of obesity and, uh, you know, we could fix healthcare in this country as, as daunting as that is, you know, right care, right time, right place, right price. But if we don't make it easier for everyday people to make smarter lifestyle choices – and these uh, lifestyle trends that you described uh, continue, you know, ever more chronic disease, uh, ever more medicine to treat the chronic disease, greater inequality, lower productivity, less happiness. Uh, that's, that's a future nobody wants for the country. And, in, and for that reason, I've actually come to believe that uh, fixing health care in the United States, both the healthcare delivery system, And changing how we lead our lives so that we can really achieve the lower real ages that you're aspiring. I I love that phrase, by the way, the uh, longevity revolution. I I will steal it, but I will attribute it to you. But to really achieve that, we we need to figure out how to make it easier for everyday people to make smarter lifestyle choices. Could you just kind of unpack that a a little bit? Wait a
1: second. second. Okay. Okay. You say we have to make it easier. no. We, In a way, we have to have a culture change that allows people to do this for themselves. It is a World War II effort. You know, World War II, we would never have won World War II save we had this culture change that we sacrificed for the country and for the world. We need that same type of culture change where health is and... um, if you will being healthy is a part of our country's salvation because it is and it's not just our country you know ottawa's meta, ottawa's budget problem is health britain's 23 percent out of budget item that led to or, or is fostering brexit is their health care mm-hmm. chronic disease china is getting the same problem india is getting the same problem It is not just the United States. It is a worldwide problem. We're just a little ahead of the curve, not much. We've exported our bad habits really well, as I said. But it is a worldwide problem that if we don't solve, we will have different forms of government and much less freedom in our whole world. And so that's what's driving me.
0: Mm. So how do we go about changing the culture. Um.
1: Well, the way Toby Cosgrove did it, and, and, and you know, I, I used to think we could do this as a society through government, et cetera. I think corporations will lead. I'm very, um, you know, I, I used to be very optimistic because Wyden and Portman, Wyden a Democrat, Portman a Republican, had this bipartisan goal of taking the Cleveland Clinic plan and making it Medicare um, which would have been incredibly wonderful. Everyone would have in Medicare would have gotten two thousand dollars more per year. That's how much because you save about eight thousand per person if they get to six normals. So six normals: normal blood pressure, normal waist for height, um, normal LDL cholesterol, normal fasting blood sugar, hemoglobin A one C, no cotinine in the urine, doing a stress management program. We call it six normals plus two. The two is. Um, a primary care physician once a year, immunization's up to date. If you do those six, if you get to those six by doing the other two, you reduce your health care costs about 70 to 80% per year. And since you live about a third longer currently, Mm -hmm. um, you reduce your lifetime medical expenses by about 50%. Even in the last year of life, people who have those normals going into their last year of life, spend 50% less than their last year of life. So it saves Medicaid, it saves Medicare, and you can give everyone more disposable income. That's the widen portman plan, or the portman widen now plan, and it just hasn't gone anywhere because they haven't been able to get enough support from other senators because they're all busy doing something else. They have four, or six. I think they have six R's and six D's, so it's 12 of the senators, but they you need more than that for a, for a bill. Mm-hmm. In any case, so I got pessimistic, but we're working with a number of corporations that are putting in the same type of incentive plan. We've seen a 32% reduction in health care costs compared to the national average. That saved us. Our CFO will admit $254 million in the last three years. We'll save 150 to $170 million this year going forward compared to the typical hospital or our best competitors. Um, and if you will, we've done this and learned how to accelerate it so it doesn't take seven to ten years the way it did for us, but so you can do that in years three and four as we've done it with a number of others. So we've learned how to do this much faster, and it is a culture change. That is, the CEO has to lead it. If the CEO isn't on board, you might as well pee in the ocean, if you'll pardon the expression. (laughs) second thing you have to do is change the environment. Third is give people aha moments. If that fat swab can do it, I can do it. Fourth is you have to have programs for the healthy to keep them. Fifth is you have to have free programs for those with chronic disease to get them to be healthy. And the sixth is a large incentive program so that people are reminded, get above their reptilian brain so that they're reminded to do what is healthy for their own wellness, that is, for their own uh, financial in fact, at the Cleveland Clinic, if you, if you were a uh, family of two and deposited the savings you got, not even the out-of-pocket savings, just the direct savings and medical insurance costs you got, you'd have an extra $200,000 at the time you retired if you retired after 25 years, an extra 300000 if you retired after 35 years. So this is a huge ability to do well for yourself and do well for the organization in which you work for, and do well for the country because you'd be able to work much longer.
0: Well, you know, Mike, uh, you've articulated the financial benefits of this um, at the clinic and and, and elsewhere in terms of insurance savings and personal savings to to people that have improved their health and achieved the six normals and so on. Could you um, maybe personalize it a little bit and just talk about at the individual level, how this improves the lives that people are leading, you know, uh, carrying less weight, having more energy. Just maybe maybe personalize a little bit uh, at the granular level for how the clinic looks and feels differently today than it, it did when you started the Wellness Institute, whatever that was, almost 15 years ago, I guess.
1: Um, well, let me go and say, I think if I was going to say – The main change is that people feel more energy both at work and when they leave work. So they have more energy to do the things they want to do with their family or individually. They have more, um, if you will, time to do it. So instead of aching with arthritis or... um, being worried about the treatment for cancer, you don't have that. Um, in fact, one of the way our absentee days, are unexcused, un- unplanned, if you will, not unexcused, our unplanned uh, time off is down about thirty percent in the last eight years since we've been doing, wow. we've been doing the program ten years. That's amazing. So we've gone from one point oh seven percent to point seven zero percent. Um, on, and, and that more than, by the way, if all you did was replace our nurses, not replace our physicians who are absent, not replace the administrators who are no longer absent, but just say the nurses are the only important part because they are the most important part of a medical system. If you just replace the nurses, um, you're saving $7 million a year in unplanned absences, which more than pays for the entire program. So forgetting that we're saving 150 to 170 million, 20 or more times that return on investment, you're saving that in just productivity. But the people feel the energy too. And that's one of the interesting things about the clinic is you're seeing this. Um, and you see, you know, we've lost a pound and a quarter per person while the country has gained about a pound per person, that's per year for the last eight years. That if, if you look at it, we're 20, the average employee of the clinic, unbelievably looking at their body mass index drawn from medical records, not, not some self-reported data, this is medical record data from, because uh, 97% of clinic employees use clinic medical care. Um, if you look at it, it is. We're 20 pounds lighter in the eight years than the average U.S. citizen. That alone. I mean, we don't even need bigger chairs like everybody else does.
0: <laughs> that just has to make you enormously proud, Mike. Uh, just enormously proud.
1: Well, I'm. I'm. Uh, I don't know whether "prouder" is the right word, but I'm. In, I'm. I. I have the same extra energy too. So I'm not uh, <laughs> feeling feeling as tired or as lazy or as. Uh, uh, whipped as uh, I probably might, but well, believe believe um, I, me, the I'm enormously I'm enormously happy and feeling good about um, what the clinic has done and the health of the clinic people. Uh,
0: just so you know, the ear energy is coming through loud and clear on the other end of the phone and out into the audience. So it's uh, your 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 enthusiasm is testimony to uh, uh, to what you're saying. Um, Mike, maybe just uh, we can one last question, and then we can we can wrap up because uh, we've really appreciated your time here today. Uh, so talk about how we take it beyond uh, beyond the clinic and and scale. Uh, uh, I I don't think anyone denies the enormous success that uh, the clinic has had in changing its uh, its culture and and really making uh, the clinic a place where health and wellness are, are paramount concerns, uh, supported by the food choices, the abundance of, of constructive physical activities available. I know that you offer uh, stress-reducing uh, classes, yoga classes. Everything you do really is around this goal of, of giving people more control of their lives, greater energy, better balance, and, and so on. But how do we – how do we – push out and scale this in a, in a much bigger way uh, to achieve the, the goal that you laid out when we're fighting some pretty powerful forces uh, in the United
1: States? Um, yeah, so I think this will come from corporations. So we've made it so all of these programs can be done through a, a buddy coach that's online, that's asynchronous, so you don't have to be there at any one time, it's not a phone call. It's an asynchronous system that works really well to help people um, change behavior and sustain the behavior change and helps corporations that have gotten motivated by their CEO to do this, to, to do it. You can't do it without the CEO. You can't do it without C-suite um, integration with the rest. You can't do it unless you change those, do those six things I did. But all the programs for the individuals to, who are healthy to sustain health, all the programs to reverse disease are available online as well as uh, the whole system that we do. And we've done this with nine other corporations, but we you can't do it alone. Cleveland Clinic can't do it alone. And, right. you know, there's a number of cooperatives, Amazon, uh, J.P. Morgan, and... Um, Uh, Buffett's group got together to to try and start to do this, but the HTA, Health Transformation Alliance, is 26 large corporations that are working together, and we're going to hopefully work with some of these, but we've been working with others. We need other medical centers to join in. We need a whole group of corporations to join in. And when the, and we need, really, leadership from the president not to do, this is how we're going to pay for it, which is what they've been doing, but rather, this is what we can do so no one has to pay for it, so you can be healthier longer, so that we do have the money, which we won't have, but we if we don't do this, so that we will have the money for those unfortunate enough to be in accidents or to get sick or to get some problem unrelated to their lifestyle choices. Um, we have to have that World War II effort from the president once we get four or five years down the line and get the corporations who have done this yep. to take a leadership. So I, have, I am optimistic that it is doable. I worry that we don't have enough of a hurry-up and imperative from leadership that we're going to do it. And part of that is because most of the wellness programs that insurance companies sold us were like many of the other things that were not true that insurance companies sold us. They weren't good programs. They were check off the box, and they didn't do it. So we haven't had that imperative. We haven't had the, um, priority and the, um, necessary speed in doing this. We've got to change that. And I know it can be done. I worry that we just don't have enough leadership yet to do it, but hopefully your program and others like it, will be able to carry the message and get it done David so thank you. Yeah,
0: well th- well thank you. Well, I I, I think the audience can uh, appreciate why uh, why we selected you as one of our wellness heroes in in market versus medicine. You you really are a rebel with the cause and uh, you make the case very persuasively that we have it in our power to change our culture. Uh, to change our way of, of, of living, to achieve just enormous benefits uh, for ourselves, our families, and our communities. So, uh, Dr. Mike Royzen, Mike, thank you so much for being part of Market Corner Conversations. Uh, really enjoyed the uh, really enjoyed the conversation, and I know you're going to keep up the great work. But uh, you know, just keep slaying dragons on a daily basis. We 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 need you to do that. So, thanks again so much.
1: Thank you, David, and and. Keep doing what you're doing too. I will.
0: <laughs> if you're frustrated with healthcare, if you want to understand how the system is reinventing itself through relentless bottom up market driven reform, please subscribe to our podcast at foresighthealth.com. Be a rebel with a cause. Help us fix American healthcare. Until next time, this is Dave Johnson.